Keep She Shatters and She Burns fans, this is Hannah Austin, your host for the She Burns podcast. I'm excited to announce that my first book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, is now out on Amazon. For more tips, tricks, and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out, visit me on Amazon at Hello Head, Meet Heart. Happy reading! Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go-to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self-care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. Hello everyone, I'm Hannah Austin and this is the She Burns Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Christina Young, MD, PhD. Christina is a radiation oncologist and scientist who specializes in researching breakthrough technology and immune therapy for breast cancer patients. She grew up in a small beach community in Southern California, playing soccer and running cross country during track season. Christina attended UCLA, where she obtained her Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering and moved to Oregon to complete her MD-PhD program at Oregon Health Science University. After graduation, she attended Providence St. Vincent's Medical Center for her internship and completed her residency in radiation oncology at Oregon Health Science University. Christina loves the Pacific Northwest and enjoys boxing, hiking, and gardening with her family and playing with her two cats, Duke and Kate. Welcome, Christina. I am so excited that you're here with me today. So let's start here for our listeners. Can you start with explaining what your focus is as a physician and a scientist? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So a little bit about what I do for work. I am a physician scientist. So I have both an MD and a PhD degree. And that means that I split my time between research and clinic. So I spend the first half of the week in my cancer research lab. And in the second half of the week, I see patients as a radiation oncologist, which means that I use x-rays to try to treat cancer. The focus of my lab is to try to exploit the patient's immune system to work better against fighting their cancer. So cancer cells have mutations in them that make them look foreign to the body and the immune system can detect that. But over time, the uh, cancer can evolve to hide from the immune system. And our focus is to use radiation in combination with immune therapies to try to re-expose the tumor to the immune system to allow the body's natural immune function to clear out the cancer cells and assist with the curing of the cancer. So that is ultimately our goal. We're really excited about the progress that has been made in the last decade, and we're hopeful that we're making strides forward and we'll continue to do so. That sounds fascinating. Uh, What made you go to this career? What led you to be a radiation oncologist and scientist? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if you meet anybody who really works in the cancer field, there's always a very personal connection. For me, my best friend's mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when we were in junior high. And when we got into high school, unfortunately, her cancer came back as metastatic breast cancer. Early in my college years, she unfortunately passed away from her disease. Barbara and I were quite close. My friend Amanda and I are still quite close. And it was a very life-changing event for all of us. And it really changed my career trajectory at that point. So I was studying engineering at UCLA as an undergraduate. 
And I started working in a genetics lab and then subsequently in a neurology lab and really decided to change my focus into a career in medicine and really honing my research skills because I felt quite powerless when Barbara got sick. And I really hated that feeling. And I wanted to dedicate my life to provide hope for patients in the future and to create new therapies that were going to put people in a better position so that they weren't suffering in their end of life and that they had additional options for care that didn't exist at the time that Barbara got sick. I'm so sorry that happened. It sounds like it was really impactful in your life, but to be able to take such a dark moment and turn it into such a hopeful light for your future and what a switch from what engineering to medicine, <laughs> obviously they're both very challenging you know, can you talk a little bit about, I don't know if it's top secret, but what are you guys working on right now in the field of immune therapy? You talked briefly about having the cancer cells be exposed to your immune system, kind of building up that, but can, is there anything you can share that's like not behind the vault? Yeah, we're really excited. When I first joined um, the Early Child Research Institute in 2015, I started a clinical trial based on the research I had done during my postdoctoral studies. And we studied a particular pathway. It's called the transforming growth factor beta pathway big long word, but it's a pathway that's really involved in both human development and immune suppression. We found that in a lot of different cancer types, including rectal cancer and breast cancer and pancreatic cancer, head and neck cancer, this pathway is really overactive and it leads to a more de-differentiated tumor cell. So it looks nastier and sort of more primordial, and then it leads to a more suppressed immune environment. So it allows those cancer cells to sort of cloak themselves and hide from the anti-cancer immune cells that sort of would circulate. And so I started a study where we used a drug that blocks that TGF beta signaling pathway in combination with chemotherapy and radiation, which is sort of a standard of care approach for patients with advanced rectal cancer before they go to surgery. So we added this additional immune therapy to really try to enhance the effects of the chemotherapy and radiation before patients went to surgery. And so I'm really excited that study finished accrual earlier this year, and we're hoping to be able to publish the data early in 2022. But so far, the results are extremely promising. We've seen really great patient outcomes. There's been a few stories in the local media about a couple of patients who were able to actually avoid surgery um, because their cancer disappeared entirely. So I think we're very hopeful that that study will have a positive result and allow us to take things further into clinical trials into a next phase. But yeah, those are the sorts of things that we're working on. It's very exciting. And then we're studying the patient samples from that study to see if there's additional things we could do to improve responses, even in patients who maybe didn't have a complete response, but had some changes and to really understand how to make treatments better for patients. And maybe we can dial back the radiation so it's less, less toxic or Maybe we can adjust which immune therapy we pair with our standard therapies to provide a more tailored approach to patient care that's individual and provides better outcomes. That's awesome. Just hearing you talk through and kind of think about all of that goes into these trials and the hope that you're seeing, um, you know, cancer, you know, it's such a big C word. Everyone's like, you get it, you get the C word, right? And it's like such a death sentence initially, but hearing you talk really provides hope, I think, for me as well as our listeners about there is hope out there. And with the white combination and obviously research, there's a lot that we can do right now with a cancer diagnosis. Talk to me a little bit about COVID, right? So getting a cancer diagnosis is almost 
a death sentence scary in a lot of people's minds. And then you add COVID on top of it. So it's been such a difficult time for cancer patients. I would imagine having to juggle their treatments and then having to be not only careful about their regular immune system, but then, oh my gosh, there's a, a virus out there that could also kill me. What trends have you seen with your patients recently in respect to symptoms of just exhaustion, depletion, you know, burnout overall? Yeah, I think I already work with such a vulnerable group of patients. I love what I do because I have such a intense connection with my patients for the period of time that they're with me. I'm seeing them, you know, at a minimum once or twice a week as they're going through therapy. So, I mean, they're coming in every single day, often for several weeks at a time. So that connection is one of the things that I really enjoy about being a radiation oncologist is you have this really intense relationship during this difficult time in someone's life. And I think it allows you to have a really huge impact on how they perceive their disease and ultimately sort of helping someone through a really difficult time is an extremely rewarding part of the job for me. I think adding this additional layer of fear and isolation and even before you add the like if someone actually contracts COVID while they're going through the therapy, like just the mental state around COVID makes it so much harder to care for for cancer patients right now. And it's really tough on the patients and the providers and the families of patients. Because right now, you know, we're experiencing this Delta surge in Oregon, and we've stopped allowing visitors into the hospital to limit exposure and mitigate risk. But you can imagine if you have a new diagnosis of cancer, having to go to a radiation oncologist for the first time or a surgeon for the first time or a medical oncologist for the first time to hear about your prognosis and what your treatment is going to entail and to have to do that alone is so difficult. And we're trying everything we can to to soften that blow. We're, t- we're putting people on speaker phones. They're in their cars. I'm doing like Zoom consults with people at home. So at least they have someone with them, but then yeah. it's like not face-to-face and you have this computer barrier. Right. I mean, there's, it's just, it makes it harder to have that connection, to have people understand, to have people feel supported, to provide the level of care that we set for ourselves. It's, it's just, it's, it makes it a lot harder. It makes patients have a tougher time. I think there's much higher levels of depression and anxiety. Patients are feeling just less supported and there's a lot more fear about their diagnosis because they're not having that same experience um, that maybe they would have if COVID wasn't happening. And then you look here on top of that, there's all the additional fears surrounding like, what if I get sick with COVID in my immune compromised state? Mm -hmm. What does that mean for me? What is my outcome going to be? How do I protect myself when I have to come into this clinic in a hospital every day for five and a half weeks? We really are doing everything that we can to try to put patients at ease, to let them know that we take their safety and their health very seriously. We try to limit the exposures as best we can. We, you know, are very conscientious about everyone wearing their protective equipment but there's some level of risk that we can't avoid. Like patients have to physically be in our department for treatment mm-hmm. and that is, is very tough for them. So I think it's been a very difficult time for patients and I really feel for them. I think as medical director, I'm sitting in these meetings trying to figure out how we can make this as seamless as possible and create a safe environment for everyone. Unfortunately, it's just not as satisfying as I wish that it could be. Yeah. And it's challenging. I mean, I think, you know, it's great that you guys have adjusted with technology and done Zoom. I mean, it's amazing what we were able to adjust to in such a a stressful time. 
but building that trust, like you mentioned, and having a screen and just not that connection. And then to take it a step further and not allow, you know, patients have visitors, you know, that's extremely difficult. And being the medical director, I can imagine like you're having to have those tough conversations with patients and staff about why they need to set those boundaries and reinforcements for for health and safety risks. Christina, I can imagine working with all of this trauma and stress and trying to keep, you know, the patient at the forefront is so exhausting for you, right? I know you have a marriage and a family. How are you handling things? How are you doing? And have you experienced kind of burnout during phase one, phase two, and now phase three? I think it's been a difficult time for everyone in the medical profession. I feel like I'm very fortunate in that I have a very supportive home life. Like my husband is a rock star and I couldn't do anything that I do without him. But I think if you talk to anybody in the medical profession right now, it's been a really difficult two years. Yeah, burnout is part of the experience, unfortunately, at this point in time. I think that early on in COVID, we felt like you know, it was very scary. It was very new. Everyone was very concerned and everyone was very appreciative of the work that was being done by medical providers and by healthcare workers. And there was, you know, people were clapping at 7 p.m. and everyone felt like this connection and like a, a spirit of collegiality and appreciation. And I think that because this has lasted so long, that feeling of support has waned and people now are feeling frustrated and disappointed. And sometimes that's directed at us and sometimes it's not directed at us, but it's just a global feeling. And no one can be so uh, positive for that long. Like at some point you're burning out from being positive of being a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that that's been difficult because I think that healthcare workers are now feeling like people are coming and angry at them. Like it's our fault that COVID is still going on. So I think that's a little bit difficult. I think there's frustration on the part of providers about people feeling hesitant about vaccination Mm -hmm. and there being just a global distrust of the medical establishment, which makes it really challenging for us to combat COVID and and provide the ideal care and, and outcomes that we would like to provide. So I think all of that contributes to an emotional exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, many of us have families and young children and they aren't vaccinated and we can't protect them. And, you know, they weren't in school for a year and a half. And how do we manage childcare when we have an essential job? Mm -hmm. And it's a dangerous job if we're going to bring that home to our families. Absolutely. Um, So all of that was, I think, extremely stressful for everybody. And there was a lot of people who dropped out of the workforce because they couldn't balance that. And I think we were very fortunate that we were able to continue working, both my husband and I, who are both healthcare providers. So I feel grateful that I was able to continue to work in my job and help my patients. I think it was really a difficult year for my children. I think that they're always quite happy and and good kids and they make the best of the situation, but it was very disruptive for them as well. And I think all of that contributed to a sense of burnout. And so Yeah, absolutely. I think we felt that. For me, I think what's helped me get through it and feel like I'm less burned out than maybe some of my colleagues are is I'm fortunate that my subspecialty isn't as impacted as some others. So I think that that's just luck um, in a way. But I think having a supportive spouse is incredibly helpful. And I think that having connection and relationships has really been a savior for me. I think that 
I have a very supportive core group of friends mm-hmm. who understand sort of what's going on, are always able to listen and, and be there for me. And that has been incredibly meaningful. I have family that lives out of state, but they still keep in touch and are, you know, doing what they can to help support. I just picked my parents up from the airport because they needed childcare for the week. So they <laughs> fly in. <laughs> yeah. So so I think having connection is always something that has helped me in times where I'm feeling low and my tank feels empty. And then doing things to fill my tank. So for me, I feel like I need a physical outlet and I love to box. That's my favorite form of activity. It's very therapeutic and also a good workout. So I try to get to boxing like four days a week if I'm able to. And that really helps my mood. You can ask anyone in my family. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think that's been incredibly helpful for me. And so that is always a really important thing for me. And then this woman that I know started this company uh, and it's called She Shatters. And she gave us like a 30-day challenge of activities to help with combating burnout. And so I participated in that and I found it was actually very helpful to just have little moments (laughs) where I could focus on recentering myself. And even if it's only five minutes, that Mm -hmm. can be really impactful. So I think just taking like a little bit of time to try and find me again each day has been really helpful. I love that. Help find me again. So you're a physician, you're curing cancer. Let's just face it. Like when my friends used to say, it's not like it's rocket science or curing cancer. Christina's curing cancer and you have two kids and you have a supportive husband. We know Darren, he's super supportive, but what knowledge would you share with your sons? Like they've obviously been going through this as well. Young kids, you've mentioned, obviously they're torn between their grandparents or their parents, or you guys are switching schedules to make it work so that you're there with them um, because they weren't able to go to daycare or school. What do you think your sons are learning from this moment, this defining moment in our history? And what are you and Darren showing them? about safety, taking care of themselves? Yeah, I think we always try to instill in our kids that the most important thing is to try to make the world a better place. We're trying to model that in what we do. And we sort of use that framework to explain the importance of wearing their mask when we leave the house. And to explain why we can't do certain activities or why the world looks different right now. And, you know, we have a seven-year-old. I think he gets that he's very, like, emotionally intelligent. And so I think that he, his default is to always be empathetic and understanding. And so I think he's doing really well with that. I have a three-year-old and the three-year-old's world is a three-year-old. So um, (laughs) we joke that he's like the anti-masker in the house and like we have to constantly be reminding him about wearing it. And I think it's just developmentally wearing that. But he doesn't know a world really outside of this. So it's a very interesting thing to watch him interact in the world because he's only ever known a world where everyone wears masks and face shields. And he doesn't seem all that disturbed by it. But I think time will tell how that impacts him. But I think Mm -hmm. what our kids have noticed in the last couple of years is that we have to be flexible. It's really hard for people to constantly change, but that's what we've had to do. We're constantly having to adapt. That's, I think, part of why this last two years has been so difficult is no two days are the same. We're getting new information. We have to 
integrate that information into our lives and adapt our lifestyles to accommodate that new information. And I think that's one of the hardest things. So I think trying to encourage mental flexibility as much as we can has been probably the best thing to come out of this. I think if we can be open to change and open to new information and trying to teach our children how to interpret new information, Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard. I think one of the things that medical training does is like gives you a very black and white view of like anatomy and physiology and things are very cut and dry. And I'm very grateful to have had my PhD training where it's a much more nuanced understanding of things and to understand that there's more than one variable and interpreting data and evidence. My training in that is much stronger, I think, from my PhD training. And I think that that has really been helpful in this pandemic to be able to yeah, to explain to people in my clinic, to explain to my family members, to explain to my children, like what all of this means and why we're doing what we're doing and how we can potentially adjust what we're doing to accommodate this new information and whether that information is something that requires a response or whether that Mm -hmm. data is actually kind of weak and maybe we shouldn't follow that. So I think it's been difficult, but hopefully we've been trying to model some of that good behavior. I love what you said about we are trying to teach and you are teaching, obviously, through example to your kids that we need to make all make the world a better place, whether that's curing cancer, whether that's working at the grocery store, you know, pretty much anything, as long as you are making the world a better place and more impactful, that's really important. So I really, I think you guys are doing a great job and love that you and Darren are showing that. If you could sum it up in one sentence of what you've learned through COVID and this difficult time in general about yourself, what would you say? I guess I learned that I am more resilient than I gave myself credit for, and that our role in every aspect of our lives, people will give you grace, and you shouldn't be as hard on yourself. If you're giving other people grace, give yourself grace. I think that is one of the most important things that I've learned is when you're a achieving individual and you have a lot of different directions that you're being pulled, Mm -hmm. it's very easy to be self-critical. And I think that I have grown in my ability to give myself space and time and to maybe not achieve everything that I would have liked to, but that's okay. Yes. That is such an important lesson. When you said that, I almost teared up a little bit. Well, I did. I'll just be honest. (laughs) But I think it really, for women, you and I are very similar in a way that we are drivers and we're achievers and we like to we have this should, like we should do this or we have to do this. And it's that drive that makes us successful, but it also is our demise in some ways. So I love what you said about giving yourself space and time for growth and grace. And that's huge. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to switch from a little bit of heavy stuff to some fun stuff. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Here's where I get to ask you a son of a fun and inspiring um, thought provoking question. And I know you'll love this because you like to play. So if I told you that you could be seven years old for a day with no responsibilities or worries, what would you spend your day doing? Ooh, I think that I would want to go to a beach with warm water and play in the waves. Awesome. Well, and your your son's seven years old, so you'd you'd be his playmate, right? (laughs) Totally. 
I think this is where I'm getting my drawing my inspiration. Yeah, no, I think there's just something that reminds me of my childhood when you're very carefree and happy and like, you don't think about the dangers of the ocean or that there's like sharks or that people could like get pulled out into a riptide. You're just free to play and like splash and throw sand and there's no consequence. Like it's just fun. I love that. I'd be right there with you, especially in Hawaii. She just got back from Hawaii. I just got back from Hawaii. I think consciously we're like, we wish we were there now. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds awesome, but let's switch a little bit more to a a conversation and a question more reflective in nature. Okay. So please answer the following statement with the first response that comes to you. If you really knew me, you would know that I am fiercely loyal. I love that. Why do you say that? What struck you about that? I think that you can go through different eras of my life and you will find that there are like individuals that I still have very close relationships with that I could like pick up a phone and it'd be like, no time has passed. Mm -hmm. And I always feel extremely passionate about supporting my loved ones, my friends, my family particularly if they're going through a difficult time, like I have a little bit of that fixer in me. Like I want to be there and do something and and help. And I think that I will defend my friends and family and be just very supportive of those individuals when this time comes. I love that. And I feel that when you were, when you were providing that explanation, I felt it was truly coming through your heart and that you were being very honest and vulnerable. So thank you so much. Okay. I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I love what you said about looking outside the black and white and really seeing the gray and how important it is to, for us as women to really provide space and time for ourselves and not to be so hard on ourselves and give us some grace. I think that makes a big difference in our growth. And that concept aligns so much with our mission at She Shutters, as you know. So thank you. Of course. The work you're doing in this world with cancer research is incredible, and I'm so glad that you were able to be with us today and share with us the power impact that you and your cancer care research is having on our world. Hearing Christina talk about her work with her clients inspires us to follow our life's work. It is so inspiring to know what's happening in the field of women's health research and that it will help pave the way for women to heal from cancer. As women, we are all searching for what lights us up and keeps us healthy, and together we can learn how to burn bright and not burn out. To our listeners, for more information on Christina, please visit her LinkedIn profile at www.drchristinayoung.com. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at sheshatters.com or on Instagram at SheShattersLLC.